all the cancer treatments are based upon understanding the natural communication between like a virus, a bacteria and a cancer cell. So you use one to fight the other, or you build one up in a way, or, or you build up the T cell and teach it to fight better against the long battle that has to go on with cancer, as opposed to the rapid battle that occurs with a virus. Uh, you know, T cells aren't used to the long, subtle fight that goes on with the cancer because they keep having different subclones within the cancer and the T cell has to adjust and go after this one, go after this one. So we're helping the T cells along as we learn about this, the signaling between them. You are listening to The Dr. Haley Show, the podcast dedicated to helping you optimize your health. Each episode, there will be an interview or a message to help you discover better health. We will be featuring health radicals on the show to bring new ideas to the table, as well as doubling down on key fundamentals to support you living your best life. Your host is no other than the founder of Haley Nutrition, Dr. Michael Haley. Today, I'm meeting with Dr. John Leith, a medical doctor graduate of Yale with a doctorate in medicine from Harvard Medical School. He is a leader in the field of neuropsychiatry, an expert in cellular communication science, and author of The Secret Language of Cells. He's authored other books, uh, but this is the one that really addresses our topic today in this episode. We're going to explore how cells communicate and how they control our thoughts, our emotions, and health. Dr. John Leaf, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. You know, I, I am absolutely fascinated by this topic. Uh, myself, I kind of uh, focus on helping people get well through diet, through what they eat. And I'll even say nutrition because nutrition is obviously more than what you eat. It's chemistry in your body, and it's affected by things like... Uh, well, how you think can change your chemistry and exercise can change your body chemistry. But focusing on gut health, there seems to be this um, microbial community in there that is so delicate and has such a interesting balance to make things work. And when I started uh, discovering your content, I thought, wow, it's about the communication of cells and I'm realizing that everything I thought I knew is different now. I remember reading in Gray's Anatomy, I think it's on page three of Gray's Anatomy. And Gray's Anatomy is a book that you know most medical doctors and, and, and physicians of all types have owned a copy at some point. And I think it says something like, you know, the, the brain or the central nervous system controls and coordinates all the functions of the body and relates itself to the environment around or something along those lines. And our understanding was this electrical system, almost like hardwired from the brain to the body. But when I'm reading your content, I'm finding out that there's a whole nother system in place, so to speak, for communication. Is that right? Well, yes, I show that I call it the wired brain and the wireless brain, and that they're in constant communication such that uh, it, it was interesting. I don't, my book is not a business book, although for some reason, Harvard Business Review read it and said we're very moved by the fact that the body is the mind and the mind is the body, that you really can't separate them in reality because. Everyone knows that neurons send signals in circuits and talk to each other. We're all taught that in school, but we're not taught that the same amount of communication is occurring with every cell, including platelets even and capillary cells. And uh, But the most is known about the traveling immune cells and the master of that is the T cell. And uh, of course, the leukocytes, and the white blood cells. And uh, so... Um, Actually, Harvard was very interested also in the uh, how the platelets are very intelligent. They're like first responders. They're not just a plug. They're, they're a smart cell that sends a lot of communication that individually fights off bugs waiting for help to arrive. But so the, the communication is vast. And basically everything 
is based upon wide-ranging conversation. It used to be you could study the kidney and you'd study the kidney cell and that would be it. And now you can't. You have to realize that that kidney cell is talking to the capillary cell, who's talking to the neurons all through the body. So the traveling immune cells are really as much part of the brain as the neurons are and, and the astrocytes and the microglia. So it's a whole new world of looking for these. Uh, and, and, and you mentioned microbes. So we just, science discovered 30 years ago that microbes uh, send signals. We used to call it quorum sensing, where they make decisions together. But it's taken until now. And, and then you read in the newspaper, well, microbes influenced obesity. Microbes influenced diabetes. Microbes in influenced the brain, everything. But it's never clear why. How can microbes do that? And then it, the reason is very simple, but it's not clearly understood, is, is that we discovered these signals 30 years ago, but only now can we see the the details you know the science has gotten so good that you could follow a molecule in the middle of a tissue and see what's going on with the cells so really it's because the microbes are constantly chattering and talking to each other but more importantly they're using the same language as our cells and they're involving themselves in all the conversations and there's so many more of them it's 10 to one, really. They have 10 times more cells in our body than we do. So they're making 10 times as many proteins and gene products, and, and they're all floating around there. And, 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 and I have to throw in that there's another 10 to 100 times more viruses around every cell. And those viruses, I think, are smart as well, because they now have been discovered to have signals like the microbes. So we're, we're back, you know, many years. In, with viruses, it's going to take a long time because they're so tiny. Uh, they're so much smaller than, than cells, and microbes are a thousand times smaller than our cells. So, um, But they're talking also, and they're part of the conversation. And there are friendly microbes and unfriendly, but there are friendly viruses and unfriendly as well who are helping our cells. So it's a vast communication network, really. And certain of our cells become sort of masters of that communication, like the gut lining cell is the master in that arena. And the gut lining cell educates the T cell. I mean, the T cell is already pretty educated. It, it, it grew up in the thymus, it learns what to do and who it should talk to and who it should attack and how can it study every cell in the body. But it still is learning from the gut lining cell is teaching it don't attack this food particle. Don't attack this. Tell your armies to wait. Don't attack. Because we're eating every day thousands of chemicals, some of which the body's never seen, have never been in nature before. We're inventing these chemicals. And the, and the T cells deal with every single molecule. And they're saying, well, what is this one? What is this one? And, and they're, uh, should we attack this cell? Should we attack, I mean, this molecule or not? So the, the communication between that lining cell instructing the, 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 the T cell to instruct the other immune cells is stopping food allergies that we would have massive food allergies every day with everything if this constant chatter was not going on. Wow. You know, you said so much there, and I find this so amazing. You know, one of the things you talked about was uh, platelets, which seem to have some kind of decision process. And if I recall correctly, school was a long time ago for me. But if I recall, I don't think platelets have uh, a brain, so to speak. They, they're fragments uh, without a nucleus, if I recall. That's what, we, that's what we thought. Yes, they don't have a nucleus. So we said, well, what can they do without a nucleus? Well, it turns out that you don't need a nucleus. What you need are ribosomes to make proteins, and you need messenger RNAs. So they, the, the mother cell, the megakaryocyte, before it breaks up into a thousand platelets, it packs all kinds of messenger RNAs into that platelet. So the platelet is just as smart as all the other cells. It just can't make brand new stuff that, you know, like other cells can go back to the factory and say, well, let's manufacture this instead of that. But so, but they have a lot of material and they have very particular granules to attack this virus and that virus and this bacteria. So they really are the, first responders they are the ones who are everywhere and they don't just we thought they were a plug 
Well, they are a plug, but it, they're more than a plug because they actually calculate the blood flow and they try to keep things going, uh, keep the blood going. But they also particularly size up the situation and send signals to the capillary cells. The capillary cells and the platelets are sending signals down through the blood, say, send, send leukocytes, send white blood cells. And then the white blood cells are sort of the masters until the T cells get there, you know, a day later. But until they get there, the white blood cells uh, and the macrophages are working and um, the capillary cells are inviting them and sending signals and then letting them into the tissue. And the platelet is right there working with those other cells. So it, it, it's really um, remarkable. I mean, uh, Harvard Medical was blown away by the platelet chapter. That's what they like the most because they, whoever thought that a platelet would be intelligent. And the other thing is um, the stem, you know, capillaries tell stem cells in each tissue what to do. And who would have thought that? I mean, Aristotle said that 2000 years ago, you know, more, he said, uh, uh, the blood vessels determine the organs. And everyone thought, well, that's Aristotle. He's crazy. He's never looked inside of a body. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I don't know how he knew this, but he was right. So basically the, 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 the blood vessel cell, the tiny capillary in the smallest blood vessel that deals with the oxygen exchange, that little tiny lining cell is the intelligent cell telling the, the, the stem cell that's in a niche right next to them, Oh, well, we need more uh, of this kind of liver cell. We need more of this kind of cell. Who would have thought that was true? Wow. So these are coming out with this new science of signaling. When you start looking for signaling, uh, and now we know that's where all the treatments are going to come from, from the signaling. So that's at least we know where to look. It's more complicated, but at least we know where to look. And I, I think that's going to be the most fascinating thing. As and this is a lot of new information. We're all we're learning this. We didn't know this stuff when I was in school twenty five years ago. It, it's we new. didn't know this stuff five years ago, ten years ago. We didn't know. Yeah, and, and the, the coolest thing about it is the doors it opens up to understanding problems and possible solutions to them. I mean, it really open. You know, one of the things that um, they started talking about when I got out of school was telomeres. And, you know, we understood them to be uh, these, you know, projections that, you know, eventually run out. And as I'm reading your content, I'm realizing for the first time, wait a second, there's, you know, I, I think you mentioned enzymes and stuff that extend them and they can somehow be regenerated. And it's like, wait a second, you know, uh, I, I don't know that we'll ever achieve immortality, but understanding how these things work, sure you know, sets us up for maximizing our lifespan and our right. health. Well, telomeres, there are these enzymes that will build telomeres under certain circumstances and not in every cell. But obviously, if we can learn how to do that, we can help dying cells of certain kinds. Um, of course, cancers learn how to do that. And that's a problem because they become immortal. And they they they're so smart. Cancer, you know, if we think a microbe is smart, a cancer cell is so much bigger and stronger and smarter. They build colonies just like microbes do. They're talking to each other. They're sending resistance genes against our medications. They're sending uh, ways to fight against viruses or bacteria. They're going to attack the cancer cell. And they are a community. And they build their community. And they, like microbes, learn how to manipulate the conversation. So what they do is they get involved in the uh, fibroblast, in, in, the, in the connective cells, and they get them to become friends, thinking they're building an, an organ together. And the fibroblasts actually help build the structure. And they do the same with blood vessel cells. They, they manipulate them to build different kinds of blood vessel cells that won't let the immune cells escape into uh, to come attack them. Uh, so they, uh, they've learned how to manipulate the language, and they've learned the tricks of the T-cell, how to... Uh, maximize reproduction how to and they love inflammation inflammation the chaos of inflammation and of course inflammation is a double-edged sword it's absolutely necessary and important to clean up things to fix things and uh, like on the skin um you know in the gut the lining cell is there and beneath it it can attract 
the kind of T cells that they want. And they can build a little lymph node under, there's room to build a lymph node right under the lining so that they have available all the uh, tools that they need to fight uh, different infections and things like that. But on the skin, there's nowhere to build this, uh, these lymph nodes. So instead of that, what they do is they keep a low level inflammation, like a little infection, a little inflammation all the time. So it keeps the immune cells crawling around in there. And they have a large number of memory cells floating around. They have the greatest number of memory T cells on the skin. And they remember every little spot, like where a fungus went in and went down below that this, this T cell is sitting there, a memory cell. Well, I remember exactly what happened then. And if they come back, I'm going to, I know what to do now. I can attack them. So, um, yeah, it, it, the communication is mind-boggling. Wow, wow. You know, another thing that you mentioned was uh, how outnumbered we are in, in numbers of cells. You know, we uh, and yes, the human cells, I think you said that they were larger, but far fewer in number. I think you said uh, like 10 to 1, and then viruses being a, a 10 to 1 over the bacteria even, or over the other microbes. Uh, right. We're outnumbered. I, I don't think this is, I, I don't know if you know the comedian, um, Howie Mandel. Uh, you know, he's a, a, a little paranoid of, of microbiome. This is not a conversation for him. <laughs> we are out, we're a shell of a, a, a person with human cells. And it's almost like we're the host at, for them to exist. And they're we're running the show in a sense. Yeah, we're a super organism. We're a community of communities. And somehow they, you know, there's this view that came from a misinterpretation of Darwin and, and the evolution that everything is, is conflict and fighting and competition. The fact of the matter is 99% is cooperation. Uh, and there is a little competition here and there. And of course there is some selection, you know, certain things work better and they went out. No question about that. But most of everything is through communication and cooperation. These huge, massive superorganisms that we are, are all through uh, cooperation. And uh, we work through cooperation. The lining cell, the, there's this mass of trillions of, yeah, you know, you mentioned numbers. So in, in numbers, like in the brain, in the fetus, we build a trillion brain cells and then cut it down to a mere just below 100 billion. And then there ends up being somewhere five, six trillion so total cells in the body. And we make a lot every day of certain kinds. But there's 10 times as many microbes. And those microbes all have a lot of DNA, just like our cells do, even though they're tiny. They're a thousand times smaller, but they have still they have a lot of DNA and they make uh, all kinds of products. And the, our cells have to sort through those products and get rid of some and stimulate others and some just work by themselves, you know, but it's the, the gut lining cell is determining, well, this micro is absolutely essential to make this vitamin. This, this, uh, this one is really essential to, to eat fiber and to uh, make uh, brain signals and to make omegas and to make, uh, so the lining cell has to figure out which are the dangerous ones draw them near the edge where the mucus is. And in the mucus, there's a whole families of, of phage viruses, bacterial viruses that, uh, that are very helpful to keep enemy viruses and enemy bacteria away from the lining. And not only that, but they recently discovered there's a whole lot of these viruses coming into our gut cells. We don't know what they're doing, but they seem to be friendly. And it's not clear what's happening yet. I mean, it's very hard to study viruses. They're so tiny, uh, but they do seem to have be part of the intelligent conversation that's going on. I mean, to me, viruses are the dominant life form on earth and they, they contain more, if you consider DNA and RNA as information, which I do, uh, although there's also added information of the control and the regulation of it and how it works is a whole nother story, how all these uh, molecules come together into complexes and everything works through communication among molecules. That's my next book, actually. The one I'm working on now is about communication inside where the molecules are talking and creating these complexes that, that start 
the initiation of using a gene, for example. Um, so you have the viruses are part of that. They're tiny and they they contain they're like a storehouse. They're like a warehouse of every possible strand, every possible type of information. And I don't think people realize that there's more virus DNA in our cell, in our DNA than our regular DNA. Uh, in other words, let, let me mention that. So uh, because we all view, view viruses as bad, but they aren't bad. They're an essential part of the source of information for evolution and for everything. So what's happening in our cells, when they did the big genome project, they found that, you know, they thought it, it would be most of the DNA. It was only 2% was what we call genes, our genes. And that and 2%, but 8% are from retroviruses in the past that are sitting there. And these retrovirus genes are very, very important. They are very vital to the brain. Uh, they're, uh, when the guy won the Nobel Prize for turning a muscle cell into a, a neuron, like a stem cell, changing, a, bringing a cell back, to, they had to use these factors. And those factors, it turns out, come from virus genes, lo and behold, sitting there. Um, and the other virus gene is syncytium. You couldn't have a placenta. The placenta comes from a gene like the spike that we're all learning about, about COVID. It's a, it's a thing that connects. So the syncytium was an old connecting protein, and the, the virus put it in our DNA, and our cells said, wow, that's great. I can use that to build a placenta. So to, to connect the placenta, uh, the amylase enzyme is a virus enzyme. It's from a virus. Now that's 8%, but there's another 50% that are jumping genes. And these are virus-like strands that are moving around. They have their own ability to move. They have proteins that cut them out and then sew them in. And so they can jump around. And it turns out that these are active. And that a lot of the activity inside our nucleus is fighting against the negative effects, but the positive effects are there's reason to believe that the rapid size of the human brain came from jumping genes and our unique ability to use them and to use alternative splicing. It, it turns out that we have a, our brain developed very rapidly. If you think about evolution, I mean, the, the dinosaurs are dead and 60 million years ago, and we're left with little tiny mammals the size of a squirrel. And we developed in 60 million years from that little squirrel, which is kind of amazing. And 6 million years ago, which is really a flash in the billions of years of evolution, suddenly we have this huge brain appears. And so, but there seems to be reasons from these jumping genes are helping do that. So viruses are an essential part of evolution, of how things work, and they are the the filing cabinet, let's say, of information in 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 the earth. Every day, viruses kill half of the microbes in the ocean. Every day, and they they grow again, and that's how the atmosphere works. The atmosphere is based upon, you know, the the oxygen coming from uh, plant, you know, uh, photosynthesis and. All this is working through algae and through microbes, and it's controlled by the viruses. Anyway, I don't come. I started talking about viruses. It's uh, I could go on. Uh, I, I, I love it. It's fascinating because you know, and it and you're touching on. Uh, well, there there there's a, a discussion, a debate of whether or not viruses are even alive, and everything I'm hearing from you is saying somehow they're alive. It's more than just genetic material. Well, there, that's a re yeah, it's a silly argument because viruses, what, what most people think of the virus is a spore. In other words, you wouldn't think a spore is not alive because it's, it's inert and traveling and then it lands and it builds, you know, a plant. Um, you wouldn't think I'm not alive because I can't reproduce because, you know, I'm past reproduction. Uh, you know, uh, Zimmer wrote a wonderful book about the definition of life, and he every single definition is completely faulty. I mean, he just shows how every single one is completely inconsistent. It used to be a cell with metabolism and reproduction. Well, I would have to add a cell with metabolism, reproduction, and information, the ability to communicate, which is a whole nother level. But you really, viruses, when they enter the cell, 
they become the directors. Now, it's amazing when you think Ebola and uh, HIV that completely take over cells, like uh, HIV takes over the most intelligent T cell, and, and they have seven and eight genes. I mean, they have almost no genes and almost no proteins. And yet with this small number of incredibly smart proteins, they create a room. They build a room where they place their enzymes. They take our enzymes. They build a factory and they manipulate our system, uh, which is so complicated. They get inside the nuclear pore, which is almost impossible to do. Uh, they trick everyone. So when they're in the cell, we call that a, a, a virus cell. Uh, they build a virus factory. That's when, if you want to define them as alive, that's when they are basically running a cell. And then they become a spore. They build a little, you know, a gadget. They build a spaceship. They surround themselves and they shoot out and, and they protect themselves until they land somewhere else. And then they, you know, manipulate the way in and uh, with their surface molecules and I think, you know, we just don't know what life is. I mean, the truth of the matter is no one can define life. We don't have a definition of life. We don't have a definition of, of consciousness. We don't have a definition of intelligence. Modern science is very, very good for describing matter and energy in the conventional sense. And the quantum, I've done a lot of study of quantum chemistry, and that's really going to be the basis of communication ultimately. But then there are the whole, all the other philosophies where they think consciousness is is a substance which i sort of believe but there's no evidence for it and then matter sort of solidifies from that energy well that's a great philosophy but there's no evidence for it and, and we can't prove it and there's no study on the other side we have materialism and here we're finding out enough i feel there's enough in the material science the western science to show that it, life is intelligent and intelligence goes through it. Communication is everywhere and cells are smart. So I always work with the existing science, but, you know, it's clear we don't know anything about consciousness. Dr. Leap, I want to give you a, a, a quick plug here because everything you're saying is expanded upon in your book. Now, for those that are listening and are going to purchase the book, don't do what I did, okay? Read the title before you make the purchase. The first, my first attempt went wrong, and by the time it showed up in the mail, I got the uh, the, the CDs, the compact discs. I didn't see the compact disc <laughs> in the in the title. You know, I love a good book that I can take with me and open up anywhere. And then I I actually downloaded it on um, on the iPad so that I but I don't take this with me everywhere, so it's not just a convenient. But the book is. Excellent. And it ta talks about all these things in great detail. You know, just now you were talking about the uh, the genes of in HIV and Ebola. And I think you expanded on that very greatly uh, somewhere around chapter 19 or 20. Um, when you talked about the numbers of, of um, you know, bacterias in our body and their relative size, that was earlier in the book. There's a lot of amazing uh, content in your book. Very well written, very clear, very easy to understand. And uh, to me, it just, you know, opened up my mind in, in the understanding of these things, even though it is such a huge subject that we still know very little about. Uh, I don't know how, how you do it. You, you I mean, it, it seems like you have, you know, 10 lifetimes worth of study concise, you know, in one book. It's amazing. Really, really good. I encourage anyone that really likes this stuff, uh, get a copy and and to be more specific, The Secret Language of Cells, John Leaf, MD. So, Well, thank you very much. You're very, your kind words. There, there is a Kindle edition, which is, I think, pretty good. Some people like the audio. Uh, you know, it actually won an award. It's the guy who reads it is, is good, I guess. And um, I guess a paperback is coming out in the spring. So there will be a paperback as well. Uh, if oh, that's, I so. thought there was a paperback and I just got the wrong thing. No, there's a hardcover. There's, um, a CD, there's an audio. Oh, you, okay. Hardcover. Just, okay. Yeah. Just get it, uh, online and there's a Kindle, uh, Kindle edition, but thank you very much. I appreciate, uh, your saying that. Yeah, it's, it was a lot of work. What I did is I basically for 10 years on my website, I, I translate it. See, to me, 
No one can understand these articles. They're written in gobbledygook genes and receptors. And, you know, you're working in a lab and down the hall, there's a guy working on a slightly different subject, similar. They can't even understand each other's papers because of the, the words are so complicated. So what I saw myself and, and in the hospital, people ask me if I speak foreign languages. I said, yes, I speak molecular biology and molecular genetics. Uh, and so I saw myself as translating into English uh, these papers. And what I did is I'd find the, the, the lead reviews, the lead papers. And for 10 years, every week, I would translate them into English. And then I realized what was happening. I realized I'd written about the human brain, the tiny animal brains, the insect brains, the bird brains, cells, how smart microbes. Are. And then it dawned on me that there's nowhere a book just explaining simply that it's all based upon communication, that, that everything is signals. And that's really what uh, what all of biology is about. Um, and that's the way we're understanding it. And that's the basis of, of modern advanced medicine. All the cancer treatments are based upon understanding the natural communication between like a virus, a bacteria, and a cancer cell. So you use one to fight the other, or you build one up in a way, or, or you build up the T cell and teach it to fight better against the long battle that has to go on with cancer, as opposed to the rapid battle that occurs with a virus. Uh, you know, T cells aren't used to the long, subtle fight that goes on with the cancer because they keep having different subclones within the cancer and the T cell has to adjust and go after this one, go after this one. So we're helping the T cells along as we learn about this, the signaling between them. But thank you very much for saying your kind words. Well, you know, it, it's really great content to help understand. And, and you just now, you know, talking about cancer again, I think that was around chapter 15 or so, a whole chapter dedicated to understand cancer and, and how it works. And I'm certain as you allude to, that it, this is going to open up doors for um, understanding treatment options as you kind of look at the pathways that they use. And if we can somehow interrupt that pathway right there, I mean, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Dr. Haley Show. As a thank you for listening, use the coupon code at haleynutrition.com fantastic. That's the coupon code. The coupon code is fantastic to get 10% off your purchase now through the end of January, 2022. Go there now. Don't forget to enter fantastic in the coupon code. You know, I think one of the most important things though right now is rather than being overwhelmed with this. Um, it is a lot. And you're going to have to add a language when people say, do you speak foreign languages? From what I understand with your upcoming book, there's going to be, uh, you know, I speak biochemistry or organic chemistry or, you know, it's a, a whole nother language. But if we were to dumb it down, simplify things a little bit, and, you know, you mentioned the layer in the gut that is there kind of keeping, deciding what is allowed in. And how there's, you know, chemical attacks. And I think that's where we're probably doing the biggest amount of damage. For instance, um, we don't, we do very little digesting. We chew our food and it goes through this acid environment in the stomach and then into our, you know, uh, stomach from, from the stomach to the small intestines and into the large intestines uh, eventually. Oh, and I learned something in your book about the appendix, a possible reservoir for all, like a safety area. We always wondered, what's it for? But in this digestion uh, process, we have very little bit of digesting that is our responsibility. It's more like I see it as preparing the things we eat for the microbiome to digest. And I, I look at something so simple like preservatives in food. What, what is the purpose of the preservative? It's to not allow microbiology to inhabit it so it'll stay on the shelf longer well, wait a second, we're supposed to feed that food with these chemicals to our microbiome. How could they possibly eat it if it has chemicals in it? If we were to dumb it down, are we, are we essentially killing ourselves with this chemistry and damaging it to the point and that's why the layers are breaking down and allowing miscommunication? In our, what's going on? 
Well, you're absolutely right. Well, there's another reason for preservatives, and that's to screw up our cells also, because these are chemicals they don't know what to do with. And of course, it creates massive hassle and problem for the cells to what do you do with this chemical? So one thing that's interesting, um, so people say meat, red meat is a problem. and But one of the reasons that it's a problem is that it attracts a particular kind of microbe. So, and this particular microbe likes to eat carnitine from the meat. Now we don't need carnitine. We make carnitine inside the body and the cell, but this particular microbe likes carnitine, eats it, and then creates a product called TMA that then goes out into the blood, goes to the liver, and they turn it into a gas called TMAO. And that's what causes atherosclerosis. So, it's not that the meat did that. The meat didn't do anything. It's just that the microbe that likes the meat is the one causing. Now, there are other reasons why red meat may, may be a problem, but this is interesting to note that the type of food we eat attracts a particular kind of microbe. And of course, a vegetarian isn't going to attract those microbes and they're not going to get the heart disease in that same way. They can get it in other ways, of course, by eating way too much fat, uh, you know, but so, so it, we have to realize that the food we eat and the, particularly the processing, I mean, processing is a very serious problem because you're adding chemicals and you're taking away stuff that we need. I mean, people, for example, want to like, why is a blueberry good? Well, we create a vitamin, a flavonoid, we create a, you know, a vitamin C or whatever. But the blueberry has like 10,000 chemicals in there. We have no idea what's in the blueberry. And uh, the same with marijuana. I mean, we're creating individual chemicals out of marijuana. But there was a study just done where the type of marijuana oil that, that has been approved to treat a particular rare kind of seizure disorder didn't work on these eight kids. So they took whole marijuana as a plant, gave them that, and the seizures went away. So it was not just the chemical we thought it was, but one of the other thousands of chemicals that we have no idea about. And the problem is we cannot reproduce what's in uh, plants and food. And these plants and food and fungus are creating all the medicines we have. They're creating all the good stuff that we need and we can't duplicate it. So we have to create an environment that allows the proper microbes to be there. And that's based upon whether we eat crap or not. We'll determine what kind of, like we, there are microbes when the oil spill occurred in, in the Gulf, everyone said, oh my God, this is awful. This is gonna take forever to get rid of. Well, we were very surprised. Microbes came and ate it. And, and they ate it up much, much faster. There are microbes now learning how to eat plastic because the plastic's everywhere in the ocean. So the microbes, I mean, are going to take care of that in, in their own way. Uh, even though we may kill off all the humans, the microbes are going to do just fine. They're going to do very well. So um, they're going to adjust to whatever uh, electrons they want to eat, whatever kind of electron movement that works, they'll adjust to it because they're a basic form of life searching for electrons and energy. And anyway, so uh, so the problem is, Everything we eat has an effect uh, on the types of microbes. And that's a very important point because, so that's why we need natural foods. And that's why we want no chemicals in the food because the chemicals need a special kind of microbe there that, that could be a dangerous microbe. You know, the kind of microbe that's eating plastic isn't the kind we want in our gut. And, and uh, the kind that's eating uh, preservatives we don't want in our gut. It turns out we're the kind that eats red meat we don't want in our gut. Uh, so it's very, very important that we eat natural foods and plant-based foods. And uh, it's also for the planet, but that's a whole other issue. But in any case, um, and and uh, really, I'm sorry. You know, one of, the, one of the things you said, uh, you were talking about the ocean being cleaned up. Uh, and in, inside us, sometimes we need to be cleaned up. I heard someone say that, I, I don't know if it was candida specifically or fungus infection in our, in our guts would actually be there 
possibly cleaning up heavy metal toxicity. So, you know, we have this overgrowth of a certain something inside us, and it's actually overgrowing to clean up the mess that we've put in there that should have never been put in to begin with. No, you're absolutely right. And and fungus is, you know, it's funny. I say everything is the most dominant life form. You know, microbacteria are the most dominant life form. Uh, fungus are the most dominant life form. And uh, it's like on this show, uh, the voice, the, the the judge says, well, you're the greatest I've ever seen every time. You know, each time someone does a great performance. Uh, but so, uh, but fungus, I have another article, are fungus the most dominant life form? Because they are the digesters. They're the masters of digestion, and they're the ones that take apart everything in the forest and then re help rebuild everything else. They're the ones that talking with plant cells allowed them to come out of the ocean onto land. Plants would not be here without fungus, without the, without the wires. And I've been recently reading more about, uh, I thought that it was fairly um, not simple, but there were certain kinds that go through all the forest. Turns out there are many different kinds of fungus wires in the forest. It's not one simple internet. It's a lot of different internets, but they are communicating between all the plants and we wouldn't have plants without them. Plants would not have ever made it onto land without fungus. And the fungus, like you say, are the, you know, almost anything will decompose and that's because of fungus, basically, mostly. I mean, the other bacteria do that, archaea do that, but fungus are, are really the remarkable ones. And they, of course, are also talking and making nitrogen for the plants and making deals about uh, uh, with plants, just like bacteria do. But you're, you're absolutely right. Everything we eat attracts microbes, fungus included, and that's what determines what happens inside of us. I think it's neat. I hear your passion for these things, and I absolutely love it. Um, I, I, you'll probably agree with me that these things are supposed to be very plentiful around us in the soils. This communication network of, um, of you know, bacteria and archaea and protozoa and, and, and worms and up the chain, everything eating up the chain, pooping out, making everything more rich and nutrient dense, and then here come the silly humans with their insecticides, herbicides, fungicides, killing everything off that is so essential for the vegetation that we rely on <laughs> for our food. And, and upsetting the ecology so that viruses that have lived happily with bats for a million years will, will jump and say, oh, what is this? This is a human. This is interesting. Let me jump onto this human and, oh, wow, there's billions of them. I could really make a life here. Uh, and so I'm going to try to stay with the human, not the bat. Uh, so we're, we're allowing these dangerous viruses to reach humans by destroying all the uh, natural uh, places where, where they live. So, uh, you know, there, there's a limit to how much we can destroy uh, the planet and and survive um and i think we're close to that so uh i hope we're not well, at that point of no return and yeah, you know, i don't know i, I, don't I can't stand coming outside and seeing you know dead bees everywhere because the city came by and sprayed the you know for the mosquitoes and you know everything this planet is being sprayed and killed off and and you know we're we're eating the chemicals and we're killing ourselves from the inside we're we got to make a change and understanding these principles the secret language of of cells and and how important how reliant we are on their existence if you killed off the viruses you kill us off you know if you kill you off the bacteria it's fascinating to me is that when People ask me what should they do for their brain health? You know, clearly food is very important. Exercise is very important for memory and neuroplasticity. What you think about builds the circuits in the very dynamic brain and uh, focusing on positive things. But among these things, for some reason, if you just walk into nature and you have an EEG a beanie on your head, you're immediately in a meditation. In other words, just being near nature has an effect on us that's dramatic and 
just if you give a little plant to someone in a hotel in a hospital bed or if you have an apartment and you can see a tree it makes all the difference in the world something very magical and it makes me wonder i mean it's a little mystical to think this way and i don't know you know i don't understand it it's not scientific it is scientific that this happens in other words we we are uniquely affected by being in nature, and it's one of the main ways for us to have a, a brain health is to expose ourselves to nature on a regular basis. But is this because we're complementary with plants, which we are? We're totally necessary for each other, the oxygen and the CO2 back and forth, and we're just a complementary being, really, and we don't respect that complementarity you know, we really need to learn from the Native Americans, uh, like Chief Seattle's lecture is wonderful about how really the trees and the rivers really are our relatives. They really are connected to us. We really are totally dependent upon each other in this unique breathing thing. Anyway, so I get carried away. As we're walking through nature, do you feel that maybe somehow that is affecting the uh, microbial communication in our bodies in a positive way? What's happened, you know, um, more specifically, something written, you know, several thousand years ago uh, in the book Proverbs, it says a cheerful heart is a good medicine, but a, uh, a crushed spirit dries the bones. What does science say about these things? Well, like I said before, we have no idea what consciousness is. We have no idea what mind is. So these are, it's all speculation or a different kind of experimentation, like from the many, many years of the yogis and the, you know, the med meditators and, you know, their, their knowledge of the mind. So we, we really don't know, we have no clue what the mind is or how the brain operates. And the mind isn't in the brain. The mind is between brains as well. It's, it's in culture, it's in science. The mind is in these cells. The mind is throughout, to me, the mind is throughout nature, but specifically, I mean, obviously microbes are everywhere and they influence everything. So there has to be part of it, but I, I, I can't say what exactly. Uh, and, and I don't have any idea. I mean, I'm just being a little uh, artistic to say that we are complementary with plants. So, I mean, we are, but we don't understand why, how the brain works, but there's no question that meditation is a thing that affects the brain, has positive effects on changing the brain, on immunity, it, it had dramatic effects on immunity. Now, again, here, no one knew why that was true, but in the new science of the neuroimmune uh, circuits, the communication between uh, brain and immune, it was just, so we all know that when you meditate, the vagus nerve calms the heart rate, it calms the breathing, it calms the gut. But we never knew how could it affect immunity, but it does. When you meditate for a long time, you have 200 genes that are uh, an immunity that are altered. You have all kinds of changes in the ability to fight viruses and all kinds of stuff. How is that possible? Well, when you realize that neurons can create any kind of immune function, they can create what they call neuroinflammation, and they use this for, uh, for various purposes. So we realize that that same vagus nerve can send cytokine signals to the immune cells and have an influence on immunity. So, um, by the way, the neuroendocrine the neuroimmune circuits explain acupuncture. No one really understood how acupuncture works. I mean, there are theories that it's the electricity going through fascia, but that's not proven. It's not near blood vessel. You would think it's near an, an energy line of some kind, but we don't have any. It, it, it's not near blood. Our thought would be blood vessels or uh, neurons, but it's not. So you take, but a recent study showed that you take an acupuncture point in the wrist that affects the spleen and the kidney, it turns out that if you study it in great detail, that point is right below that is a T cell. And the T cell gets activated and simulated and it moves a little bit and then it signals to the neurons, they signal back and forth, and that message goes over to the spleen. So it's again, the communication between the immune cells and the neurons are, are causing um, the effects of meditation on immunity, but also the effects of acupuncture. Um, I'm not sure why I went off on this tangent. Well, but, uh, no, I think I initiated that tangent. I wanted to know your thoughts on acupuncture. Uh, 
because you know it is interesting because uh, you know we I always wondered you know well you're if you're not hitting a, a stimulating a nerve or or the vascular system you know there's got to be another way that this is working and I've heard the terms meridians which I'm not sure what a meridian is clearly uh, acupuncture has merit and I think what you're saying is we're understanding why now well this is one mechanism that's been proven but there there is a whole alternative medicine view, which is not disproven, it might well be true that things are more electric than, and I do believe that, and that's part of what I'm studying about the uh, the way reactions happen through uh, uh, electron attractions, and because things happen much faster in a cell than are explainable by this random diffusion idea, you know, things banging into each other it doesn't make any sense when it happens instantly, and you have ten reactions occurring instantly within milliseconds. So what's happening is it's creating these complexes uh, uh, that are drawn together rapidly through uh, these electrochemical uh, and even photon, because when a charge vibrates, it sends out photons. So if you have vibrating charges, and you do everywhere in molecules, it are these large, uh, and you have the, the water molecules are polar also, they have charge. So all this vibrating charge involves communication between molecules. Uh, so um, yeah, yeah, I think your next book's going to be fascinating as we're looking at the molecular communication and, uh, you know, electrons ions um and clearly these things are happening in our oh, bodies the point I was making is that yeah so a lot of people think it's not just ionic movement on the axon but it's actually electrons like a wire because electrons moving are what work the, the mitochondria they work the photosynthesis they work and they're and they're working in all of our big enzyme uh, communications this electron so there's some belief that the large collagen type molecules in the body, the fascia, are electric conduits, and that could be related to meridians, but it's unproven. But this one new mechanism of the, with the T cell and the neuroendrogen is proven, and that makes a lot of sense uh, how it can work. Yeah, interesting. Um, let's dumb things down a little bit and uh, in a almost like a summary fashion, I know this topic is overwhelming for a lot of people. It's overwhelming for me. Um, it's it's huge. Um, I love it, and I could talk about it all day. But for others that aren't medically trained, it might be completely overwhelming. You mentioned walking in nature being a form of meditation. What are some real practical things that people can implement right now, today? understanding they're going to benefit this whole communication system. Okay, well, one of the, so we, we mentioned sleep. Sleep is absolutely necessary for consolidation of memory. And sleep also, at night, the neurons shrink in half. And there's a fluid that goes through and cleans out clumps of protein that cause neurodegenerative disease. So sleep is very, very important for memory it's very, very important for cleaning out the brain. So that's a very important part of, of it. Exercise has a unique effect on what's called neuroplasticity. That's the ability of the brain to change circuits to make stronger memories and feelings. Um, and it turns out that neuroplasticity, which is creates meaning, is very important in a uh, um, they used to think there were different modules in the brain and the MRIs work in like seconds, but this is all happening in milliseconds. So we're not measuring any of this. In reality, everything in the brain happens in all of the brain. And you basically want wide circuits to be working. So for example, music triggers a lot of different parts of the brain. There's rhythm, there's body movement, there's thought, there's, you know, you're at a concert, you know the band, you know the meaning of the song, you know the people you're with, all these parts of the brain create a circuit and the memory is very strong with a musical event. And if you take it into a church uh, event, I spent, by the way, a lot of time singing in a gospel choir. I mean, so it, you, um, you take it with spiritual meaning, rhythm, people, it's just the most powerful event because it's involving the entire circuit. So you want something uh, that is powerful. Uh, let me give you an example. So the high jumper is visualizing a high jump. And if they visualize it, it's 30% better. 
But if while they visualize it, they go like this with their hands, it's 45% better because they've involved the muscles in the visualization. The same is true. There's a study with a math teacher of 10-year-olds. One classroom just teaches. The other classroom, she points here and here. The pointing makes it 10% better because of the physical observation of the hand associated with the meaning. Anyway, you want a wide neuroplasticity for, um, and the brain is very, very active. So the way we use our brain, people say, well, old people are demented. They're not. Actually, old people who use their brain in meaningful ways have much better brains than young people. They're building all kinds of circuits to the frontal lobe. They're building all kinds of circuits to the right and the left. So we want not just people say, well, should I do crossword puzzles? Well, there's nothing wrong with doing crossword puzzles, but that's not what we want. We want meaningful activity, gardening, art, business, charity, something that grabs you, something that means something, and that includes intention, motivation, the movement of your body, uh, thought, uh, med meditation, all of that. That's what builds these, these brain circuits that are so necessary for the, for the health of, of, of the brain. There's one other thing. So the T cells are in the spinal fluid communicating back and forth to the neurons. That's a new thing we've learned. And one of the messages is when we get sick, create the sick feeling, the neuron creates the sick feeling. And only when, only when we're better, only the T cell can tell the neuron, get rid of the sick feeling and go back to normal thinking. But also new memories are based upon new cells. We have about a thousand new cells coming in the memory center. And these new cells somehow associate to memory, build a network, and then gradually replace the old memories, the old network of memories. And that new memory is, so it's like the difference between, I, I, well, I remember there was a car there and the new memories, oh, I remember it was a red Chevy that was there. Uh, the memory is clearer or more focused on certain things. So I always tell people, what you do is you, you, you re-experience tra the traumas. But when you re-experience the traumas, you bring into it a little bit of love, something good that's happened, your family, something positive on top of it. And you slightly alter the traumatic memory uh, in the new, the new memory. And you keep doing that. And you keep re-remembering it. And the new memory uh, that puts it in a context of healing uh, takes over. And so that's one way to sort of gradually chip away at uh, the effect of traumatic experiences. So we have meaningful activity for the brain. We have now exercise creates a window of, of learning and neuroplasticity for several hours. But if you take mice and you exercise them and you give them cocaine, they become more addicted more rapidly during that two hours. So you could do it for good or bad. You have to use that two hours or three hours for something positive in your meaningful activity. And then, of course, there's um, nature. The effect on nature is um, is very dramatic and it's very shown. So you need to somehow make time to be near a plant or to walk in the woods or to sit outside something. And that should become a regular part of the day. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, unfortunately, there's less and less nature and more and more concrete, right? Right. And we talked about food already. I mean, obviously, food is, if not... I mean, perhaps the most important thing is eat, don't eat chemicals, eat natural foods, you know, figure out what's best for you and attract the good microbes and the good viruses. A lot of those things that are sold as food aren't really food. They're packaged stuff that really isn't food. It's got chemicals in it and it's not good for your microbes. <laughs> well, I tell food. people to look at the label. And if you see a lot of capital letters, and you have words there that you've never heard before, don't eat that. In other words, just look at the label. It has all the crap, not all of it, but it has a lot of the crap that's in it. And if you can't see that it's peas, if it's ED something, BBB, whatever, you know, a bunch of letters, uh, chemicals, don't eat that. Yeah. Just only eat yeah. the real peas. Yeah, good, good, good word, good advice there. Um, the re-remembering thing, as these memories change, are they improving and becoming more accurate or are we remembering things that maybe didn't happen? You can go either way. Okay. Whatever you do with it, it's whatever you do with it. Uh, in other words, memory is very tricky. 
uh, in fact, the whole idea of perception is tricky. In other words, the brain doesn't see reality. The brain sees a very narrow band of certain kinds of light waves and then doesn't even take most of them in because it goes from so many receptors down to one neuron. So you're getting a very narrow bandwidth of stuff coming in. I mean, you ask if if something happens in the forest and there's no one there, would it be real? Well, if it happens in ultraviolet, we'd never know if we were there. If it happened in x-rays, we'd never know. So it's a very narrow band. Hearing is very narrow. Touch is very... So, and basically, more occurs coming down, modulating. So the sensory information is coming in and then going up the spinal cord. There's 60% of the what's happening are, are these thinking, the cortex sending signals down to manipulate this. And it's basically really an expectation. There's a famous study where you tell people to focus on what's happening on the stage and there's a performance. And then a guy in a gorilla suit walks by and no one sees the gorilla suit because you don't expect to see a gorilla in the middle of the performance. It's, so basically the brain is an expectation based on what happened before and then gets surprises and fills in gaps and then restructures it based upon the new information. Um, so what we call a perception is really not what's out there. It's just a, and we don't know what subjective experience is. We have no idea. And there's a whole new science has to be developed to what subjective. I mean, the scientists want to have you believe that it's like the uh, it's like the emperor with with no clothing. I mean. Uh, they want you to believe that there's no such thing as subjective experience because they can't figure it out and, and it has nothing to do with the brain and we don't know what the hell it is. Everyone knows what subjective experience is. I mean, it's obvious. We all know what subject. We all have subjective experience and we all know exactly what it is. We just don't have a science that can measure it and describe it, but it's there. And um, somehow it's, a, it's an amalgam of stuff coming in from the outside and stuff that's internal and the spiritual thing says that the internal thing is very real and you can get bigger and bigger on the messages from the internal uh, world and it's a, it's a communication between them but we, we don't understand any of that we really don't what's uh, a day in your life look like what are you going to do today and how are you going to practice some of these principles well as much as possible i try to have a, a long meditation every morning. And then I do uh, stretching and yoga and I do um, some aerobics. And uh, I'm in the woods uh, in Martha's Vineyard. So we live, what, what happened is our house in town was destroyed by fire two years ago. So we moved to our summer home in Martha's Vineyard and then COVID hit and we basically, in the woods. I used to be here a lot, but now I've been permanently here and it's wonderful. We love it. It's not a winterized home, so we have to fix it up and it's hard to do that with COVID on this island. But but uh, I'm in nature and I basically, uh, I only do telemedicine now. So I do some of that and I basically work on my new book. I, uh, I'm reading a lot. I'm writing a lot. I'm studying about how chemical reactions occur and how they could know how to make DNA, for example. Well, like, what is that information? Where did that come from? And uh, I believe it has to do with the layer below that, which is the electrons moving around, which is basically what causes all these reactions to occur. And anyway, that's a whole nother story. Yeah. Now, is I'm telemedicine, a, does that mean you're seeing patients via Zoom or something? Yes, that started with COVID. I treat hosp I've always treated hospitalized patients who have neuro psych and medical problems and this a lot of them are the elderly so I specialize in treating the elderly and I specialize in brain injury for many years I ran brain injury programs so I still have a one brain injury program and I do some hospital work but I do a lot less than I used to do I'm semi semi retired working on my book most of, more okay. than half I'm working on my book 
All right. Um, if someone wanted to get an appointment with, with you, could they? Not really, because <laughs> um, I only work at hospitals. Okay. And I've only worked at hospitals for many years, and I wouldn't advise anyone to try to get into one of these hospitals to see me. What they can do instead is, is join Twitter. Uh, it's at John Leaf MD, uh, and I'm very active on Twitter. Uh, on my website, there's a contact information there. Uh, so I have my website. I have Twitter. I do Facebook, but not that much. Uh, and But no one ever spells my name right. So it's J-O-N and L-I-E-F-F. This was a name invented when they came to Ellis Island in the 100 <laughs> Three letters in the first name and an extra F, right? Yes, L-I-E-F-F. -F. They invented okay. this name. So no one ever spells it right, but it's at John Leaf MD. And my website is John Leaf MD or Searching for the Mind. Uh, so either one of those are a way to contact me. Fantastic. I'll make sure that uh, below the video form of this message and in the description on the iTunes podcast page, as well as all the other podcast platforms that are that you might find this will have links to your content and so that people can find and follow you. Um, Dr. Lee, I want to thank you so much for taking time to be with me. Um, I, I love what you're doing. I love how, how you put things. I can't wait. I'm kind of a, a, an organic chemistry type of guy. So now I can't wait to see your next book. Well, thank you. You're very, you, you're really good. I really appreciate what you're doing. And, uh, you know, it's great. Uh, so you'll send me the link when, when it comes out. I'll, I'll promote it, obviously. I will do that. We'll do that. All right. Thank you so much. Stay safe. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on The Dr. Haley Show. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot, and share this exact episode with them. You can catch the show notes for this episode on www.drhaley.com. If you want to geek out with Dr. Michael Haley on other radical health topics, be sure to check out his YouTube channel where he posts exclusive video content. All the details are at www.drhaley.com and we can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.